0: Uh, Just as we did there that God you deserve all the honor and all the glory and the reality is we probably would stand and give an ovation for the Chiefs or the Royals or whatever else we may do that but God we stand in awe and honor and respect of what you have done and how Jesus has accomplished everything for us that without Jesus we are hopeless we are caught we are broken in the trap of our sin But yet, because of Jesus, we have life and life more abundantly. Because of His death on the cross, His resurrection that offers us life, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue our Joyride series. As we continue our Joyride series, I want to ask you this question. How important is attitude in your life? How bad or how good do you respond to somebody when they have a bad attitude toward you? I mean, the reality is when somebody kind of cops an attitude with me, a matter of fact, last Sunday uh, after church, we went down, we were finishing up our baseball tournament. We were down in Lee Summit, and we're playing in the semifinal game for this baseball tournament. And one thing I always do before we go in the baseball tournament is I know the rules because every tournament has a little bit different rules. Just a little bit. Nothing major. I mean, it's baseball for the most part, but they have different things. And so I go to talk. uh, Well, anyways, there's this play going on and I knew what was right. And I go into the ump and I'm like, hey, well, hold on. Here's the deal. And the other coach comes in and he decides he's just going to be a jerk. And he's like, well, if you're so brilliant, why aren't you out here umping the games? And I looked right at him and I said, don't start with me. I know the rules. Go back to the dugout. (laughs) Now, the reason I did that is because inside of me burns this intensity of wanting to win, all right? But I also know, and this is the guy, now my sister would tell you I was the one who made up rules. She's like, you just made up rules on games when we were playing. No, I knew the rules. And like I held everybody to the rules, all right? Does that make sense? So when I knew the rule last week and he kind of copped an attitude, guess what I did back? I just copped an attitude. It's like, you're stepping up at me. You kind of bow up. I'm going to bow up on you. Just go back and do your job. You go back and you coach your team. I know the rules. We're good to go. Attitude is everything. And while you think about that, we're going to read uh, Philippians chapter two, and we're going to actually start in verse one. Matt preached last week, did a phenomenal job last week talking about these first verses. We're going to plug in So five through eleven, but while we're doing that, I want to read everything kind of in its context, so we can begin to wrap our minds around what Christ or what Jesus is trying to say to us through the words of Paul. So listen to what he says, chapter two, verse one. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then listen. Make my joy complete by being. What's he say? like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. One of the things I think about when I think about joy, when we're talking about joyride in Philippians is this, Jesus others you. Jesus is always first, others second, I'm third. Now in today's world, that mentality is completely opposite. I'm first, maybe Jesus second, sometimes it's others second, and then Jesus third or God third. And, and that's that's kind of the way things play out. But when you think about joy, I want you to think about this. Jesus others you. All right, very simple. Jesus first in everything that goes on. How do I treat others second? And then how do I treat myself? So think about that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in a humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he jumps into this, and I think this is one of the strongest. Uh, one of the most beautiful passages really was a poem, probably sung most likely as a song. Uh, Back in the time, back in the day, they probably sung this. But he says this in verse 5. Your attitude should be what? The same as Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And then he's going to clarify, he's going to unpack what he means by that. That our attitude reflects everything. Because here's what he says. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, listen to this, as a result of Jesus' death is what he's saying. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as you think about that, as you think about attitude, I ask that question, but how do we know or how does one experience true joy or experience joy in everything? See, Paul, I think, gets to the point here to let us see that our attitude leads us to experience true, true joy, and that attitude or mind comes only in Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm going to unpack this just a little bit. I want you to see what goes on. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The reality is he's saying you should be like-minded. It's not just about your attitude, You should have the same mind as what Jesus did. You should be like-minded, Christ-like in each and every situation that goes on. And so he begins to unpack, then he wants to explain that. See, Jesus is the model or the standard by which we must judge everything, including our attitude. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times when it comes to attitude, we judge our attitude by what? Everybody else. Well... I wasn't as bad as him. You know, I mean, anybody get in trouble? I was known for getting in trouble a lot as a kid, all right? And I would always try and justify This is where our son gets it, by the way. Uh, I would always try and justify my attitude by somebody else. And of course, I never went to the good person, right? Like, there was always the goody two-shoes, whether it was a boy or a girl in class. They were always a good one. Who did I go for? Like, I went for the really bad kid. Like, well, I wasn't as bad as... Do you know what such and such did? You know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe, maybe you were that person. Maybe you were the goody two-shoes that everybody just tried to look up at. That's great. But listen, we judge or we place an importance of attitude based upon other people instead of having an attitude that should be Christ-like, a Christ-centered mind in everything we go on. So he says, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Now that's... that's, that's, that's That's some deep or big shoes to fill, is it not? To think about, I should have the same attitude that Jesus had, even in the midst of him going to the cross. Even in the midst of him going, wait, you want me to go what? You want me to go down and become a human? Yeah. I want you to lay aside your godhood, even though you're still God, I want you to lay and you're going to enter into the shoes of mankind. Jesus, you're going to go back. You're going to be born as a lowly child in a manger. Nothing fancy, nothing special about the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're going to go down. You're going to be born in a manger. You're going to be born into poverty. You're going to be born into a, 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 a house that is going to raise you up to love the Father. But, but there's, you're going to be human. And yet at the same time, you're going to be still God. This is a deep theological understanding that we have to begin to understand as Paul is unpacking here some of the basic things of what we call Christology. Christology is the study of, if any of you know, theology is the study of God. Ology is the study of. Theos is God. Christology would be the study of Jesus Christ, all right? So there's this answer. These are the basic teachings of what we call basic Christology in the church, And Paul is laying that out. As a matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2 lines itself up perfectly with Colossians chapter 1 to talk about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how he brought everything into existence, and yet at the same time, how he was born into humankind. And so the question today is this, how do we measure up to have the same attitude as Jesus? Jesus. How do I bear the same attitude? How do I carry that same attitude in my life and everything that goes on? And so here's the thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Watch your attitude. Why? Because it's the first thing people notice about you. Have you thought about that? Watch your attitude. It's the first thing that people notice about you. And so here's, sorry, here's the big kicker. Here's what I want you to remember. Having the right attitude leads us to the right action or reaction. Having the right attitude leads us to the right action or reaction. Now, I drew myself out to show you how wicked and bad I was because when I had the wrong attitude last week, because I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to make you feel really dumb. And, and if you know anything about me, when somebody's dumb, I just kind of like try to inflate it. More? Does that make sense? Like, when somebody's talking about something they don't know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure they know that I know they don't know, and then I'm going to make them feel dumb about it. And I, I know that may be not the right attitude. but I kind of do that. All right? Sometimes it comes across with sarcasm. Uh, you know, I love my daughter, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is great. But Brooklyn, at times, takes freedom to start talking about things she has no clue. I'm serious. And I love her dearly. And she'll start going, yeah, like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, what? No. And, and she just wants to fit in. And I love her dearly. She does. She just wants to be a part of it. And it but it's, it's like, no, no, no. And, and I mean, I don't know how many times I've been like, you don't have to say anything if you don't know. It's better to be quiet and let everybody think you know it than to speak and have everybody know you know squat. You know, it's, it's better to just keep your mouth shut, all right? So I tell her that, but having the right attitude leads me to the right action or reaction. So here's the question, how do I have or how do we have the right Mind. Number one, I believe my attitude should be the mind of Christ. Everything about what I do should reflect the mind of what Jesus did. Listen to what he says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It's a mimicking aspect. I should do the same thing over and over and over again. The great thing about kids is kids see how you react and what you do and what you say, and guess what they do? They do what you do, they react how you react, and they say what you say. I may or may not have used this illustration in the past, but Sarah called me up one day when I was a youth pastor down in Springfield, and she said, you're never gonna believe what your son did. And I'm like, I have no clue. And we had one of those little, what do you call them, little Tikes pickup trucks, little black one, got the door that opens up, it's got the bed that lays down, you know, the, the, the tailgate of the bed that lays down. And Ethan was in the backyard and he's driving, and he goes, why don't you watch where you're going? So I get the phone call from Sarah. You're never going to believe what your son did. What? I'm thinking of something brilliant. And she tells me, and I went, oh, man. Because <laughs> I do. I say that. And I don't yell at people. I'm not cussing them out. I'm not flipping them off. But it was, hey, why don't you watch where you're going? Oh, you moron. Why don't you learn to drive? Just things like that that come out of my mouth just as I'm driving. And my son did it at the age of like two or three. And they mimic and they see. And the same thing, though, should be taking place in what we do with our attitude and how we treat others. See, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then he goes in and he wants to unpack this. And, and I want to I explain something very quickly. I'm going to read this in different versions. In the ESV, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In the New Living Translation, it says, you must have the same attitude as that Christ Jesus had. The other one, the New American Standard, says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then the Message, which is a paraphrase, says this, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. And I think that explains it very good. We're supposed to have the same mind or be like-minded as Jesus was. And he's going to unpack how Jesus was thinking, how his attitude reflected everything that we do. See, the world teaches you to get up and go up, while Jesus teaches that in order to get up, you have to go down. Jesus lays out the very attitude of what a servant should take on. So every Christian should be a servant. That's why we say, Jesus others you, Not you, others Jesus. Anytime you put yourself first, the attitude is out of line. Because if Jesus would have put himself first, he would have never died on the cross. He would have never paid the price. Instead, acting as a servant, asking as the, the suffering servant that we see in Isaiah chapter 53, he pays the price. So Jesus calls us to have a different attitude, and he calls us to be servants. When we make this choice to follow him, we give up the right to be in charge, and we surrender complete control to him. Winston Churchill says this, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And I think here's the reason why Paul begins to unpack why our attitude should be this way. Because if you remember in chapter one, Paul is talking about being in chains, And living for Christ, no matter what the cost, over and over and over again. And what Paul, I believe, is getting to is to understand that we, when we put Jesus first, will face the same thing that could happen to Paul, or that did happen to Paul. It could happen to us. But when my attitude is wrong and I look at me first, I'm going to avoid standing for Jesus because why? It's not going to be comfortable. It could cost me. I could go to prison. I could go and be persecuted, things like that. Those are things we begin to understand. And so Paul is laying this out, that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And listen to what he says. Paul is encouraging the Philippian church to pursue the attitude and actions of Jesus. And I want to jump in here as we jump and read along. He says, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. See, here's the reality regarding God's divine or Jesus' divine nature. Paul says that Jesus existed in the form of God. He isn't saying that Jesus only appeared as God. He's saying that Jesus continues being in the very nature and essence of God. So listen, he says, who being in the very nature God, he's carrying this idea out. He becomes that very nature. Matter of fact, that nature, the term nature from there, we get our term morphology from. He morphs into something, all right? It's literally saying that he morphed or he's in that nature. Even though he is human, he is now, he's morphed into humanity, but he is still who? He's still God. The Greek term morphe literally carries that meaning across He isn't saying that he only appeared as God, he is saying that Jesus continues being in the very nature and essence God while at the same time being human. That's why you'll hear people say God or Jesus was 100% man, but yet at the same time 100% God. And so there's these, what we call fallacies, theological fallacies, like people would say, well, is it possible for Jesus to sin? Well, the Bible said that he went through the same temptations, but at the same time, he's what? He's God. There's no evil. There's no wickedness. So he was tempted in the same way, but yet at the same time, he was obedient to the Father and did what the Father wanted. And so he is in the very nature of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And I want you to understand this as we talk about that. He literally is saying he had the right to take hold of it, but he didn't. He had the right to take hold of the very nature that was granted to him because he already existed. He spoke everything into existence. But yet he didn't grasp that nature because he wanted to maintain his humanity at the same time. So he's 100% God, but yet 100% man. And Paul uses that same word, that morphe word, in verse 7 as well when he says he made himself nothing. So being the very nature of God, he did not consider equality something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Do you hear what he's saying? Not only did he reject, I don't want to say he rejected, but not only did he not grasp the deity aspect of it, all right, but he then made himself a servant. So even though he was God, he did not just completely go, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. He still was human. And he still walked forward in obedience, and he still obeyed the very thing that God the Father laid out for him. So our attitude, how do we have the right mind? Our attitude is the very thing we have to do. My attitude should be the mind of Christ. Number two, the mind of Christ, listen, lays aside your rights and your position. All right? The mind of Christ always lays aside your rights and your position. One of the things that I think is a struggle for so many people in today's world, especially I believe even even in the church, is any time my rights are to be laid aside or my position is to be laid aside to serve other people. Isn't that the hardest thing we face? The minute you're calling me to become uncomfortable, the minute you're calling me to lay down what is my right, the minute I lay those rights down, are you kidding me? I'm not giving those up. There's no way I'm giving that up. And what Jesus says is, look, I had the rights. Paul is laying this out. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing. He had the opportunity. He had the power. He had the right. Why? Because he is the supreme example of everything that ever existed. He is the perfect one, the righteous one, the holy one. But yet at the same time, in the midst of that, Jesus in his example gives us a great example of what it means to be humble and selfless. He leads the way in humility and selflessness. And so if we're to have the right attitude or the right attitude or the mind of Christ, then we should lay aside our rights and our position and have an attitude of humility and selflessness. In a world today that is all about you, Jesus is saying, it's not about you. In a world today that says, you got to get one up on everybody else, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Go down. Serve. That's a hard thing. The reality of that is this. Most of us, when we talk about that, we start to think about ways we can do it, but putting it into practice in our lives, that's another thing. Why? because now I gotta give up my rights. Now I might have to give up position. One of the greatest things I've learned about leadership is leadership is not about dictatorship. Leadership is about serving the people you work with. And the great thing about it is, is a humble leader always has followers. A leader who says, you know, there's nothing too low for me, will always have people who will follow them. But a leader who says, I'm too good to do things, doesn't have a lot of followers. They have a lot of people who are going to take orders, maybe to keep a job, but they may not have a lot of followers or people who are going to do what they want to do. See, Jesus had all the rights of deity, of being God, and yet he surrendered his rights to manifest himself as the god of all glory and splendor listen again who being in the very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but he made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, the mind of Christ calls us or chooses to serve, to serve others. See, humility is one of those great characteristics that we all want to have, but nobody wants to claim it, right? I mean, we all know the standard joke, oh, my humility is the best thing I like about me. Wait. That's not humble. That's not humility. You know, if I hear a person say, Man, I like my humbleness, I would be like, Yeah, bro, you're kind of full of yourself, bro. You know, you're a little bit off kilter. Humility is something that you earn. By laying lowering yourself down, people will look at you and they may say, you know what, you're the most humble person I know. They may not ever say anything to you, but they may say somebody else. You know what? I'll follow that guy anywhere. Why are there certain generals and military leaders that their men would follow them to death because they know that that person would go to the same thing, would do the same thing for them? Why are there certain people who will lay everything on the line to serve others, and there are others who will do nothing to serve others? Watch, watch a humble attitude around you at some point. When somebody's humble, they can calm a fighting, quarreling spirit, right? Right? I mean, like, if I would have maintained a humble attitude last week, I probably could have just said, "Ah, nothing, and just dealt with the ump, right? And completely not, because I know what happened, at least in my mind, that dude went back and he looked at his coaches and he said, we're going to annihilate that team. Because that's what I do. Coach cops an attitude with me, I go back and I'm like, dude, we're destroying these guys. There is no mercy. And I can tell you, I had a coach cop an attitude and we beat them 20 to 2. Just telling you. That's the way I do it. We're just going to drive you into the ground, all right? So, but I know what happened. I could have said nothing and been perfectly fine. But instead, I copped an attitude. When I copped an attitude, I guarantee you, he went back. He went back half-cocked, ready to go. And he went back to his team. He went back to his coaches. He's like, we're going to drive him in the ground. Just so prepared. But when I walk with humility, when I walk with respect, when I wo- wo- follow the mind of Christ... In that way, I can set a completely different tone. But listen, the mind of Christ chooses to serve, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, born of a virgin, born in a in a a stable, in a crib, born in an unlikely way, in a manner not fit for a king, Jesus humbled himself to that point, and then yet at the same time humbles himself in every which way. Jesus later exalted to the right hand of the Father as a result of his death, burial, and resurrection. Yet still, even though knowing he was going to do that, what does he serve, who does he serve, and how did he serve them all throughout his lifetime on earth? He attracted the poor, the broken, the, the, the demon-possessed, the, the drunkards, the, 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 the people who were outcasts from society. Jesus attracted them. Why? Because there was humility to him. People love to follow somebody who serves and has a humility to him. And so Jesus lays the way, he paves the way for us to understand and he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. See, Christ is the essence of God and in his incarnation, he embraces all of humanity and he shows us what that means. That means he lays aside his Godhead and he's born in this manger, this lowly version, and he's at the lowest level. I mean, if I was God which I'm obviously not, but if I was God, I would be like, no, dude, you're going to be, be riding in style. You know, you're going to come in with a dictator personality. People are going to follow you because of who you are, but you're going to control things. And Jesus came in and said, this is the way it's going to be. This is how it works in the kingdom of God. If you want to be great, you know, I mean, go back to Matthew chapter 10. If you want to be great, what's Jesus say? serve other people the first will be last and the last will be first you want to be the person who is exalted later that's the way it's going to be and listen here's the beauty of all of this text all of this is showing us exactly who Jesus is and as a result of that how Jesus is going to be exalted and if we have the same attitude because that's what Paul's drawing out when you have the same attitude Christ will exalt you when your time comes that may be at death it may be a persecution, it may be something along those lines, but Jesus will exalt you. And I'm not talking about make you God. What I'm talking about is putting you in your proper place with him at his right hand. Why? Because he's at the right hand of the Father and he's calling out to you in the same way. So our attitude should be the exact same attitude as that of Christ Jesus in everything that we do. And so he laid aside his rights as God and became human, and we have to strive to fight. Yet, here's, here's the reality, I'm sorry, we strive to fight for our rights. Matter of fact, if you remember the old school song by Twisted Sister, you gotta fight for your right, <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave it there, so anyways, if you don't know who Twisted Sister is, don't worry about it. You, you you're probably doing yourself a favor. <laughs> okay. So, and Mallory's looking at me like I have no clue who you're talking about. <laughs> so, anyways, but that's the idea. We have this idea that we fight for our right, and Jesus says, Don't fight for your rights. Serve. Love others. And here's the beauty as he wraps this up. Paul lays it out. Listen to what happens. As a result of Jesus' death, and you have to remember that Jesus' death on the cross pays the price that we cannot pay. We can't bear on our own no matter how much money you bring in, no matter how good you think you are, no matter what you do, you cannot pay the price that Jesus paid for you. You cannot earn God's grace. God's grace is given freely through the blood of Jesus Christ, through belief in Jesus Christ. And that's what he offers. And he says, I offer you life and life more abundantly in Christ. And so in verse nine, listen to what happens. Therefore, God exalted him to what? The highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And here's the thing we have to begin to understand because we know what's going on. But he says that he gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Yahweh. If you remember our name series when we jumped into it, this phrase, highly exalted, literally means to, I I mean, I can't, to super exalt Jesus Christ, to lift him up to the highest point. No one ever is exalted like this except for God. No one will ever be exalted like that except for God. Jesus is an exalted class by himself. He came down to earth and as a result of his obedience to death on the cross, he is exalted to the highest point so that he is the name above all names. That every, At the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue will confess. And here's the reality based upon scripture. Every knee will bow at some point in time. Either in obedience and understanding and belief, or in depravity and hurt and anguish. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, listen, Lord. And I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is Lord echoes Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, where it says, I am the Lord. If you remember the name Yahweh, I am Yahweh, that is my name, my glory I give to no other. So when he says, that the name, or at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh, the Lord, the one who redeems, the one who paid the price, the one who sacrificed for his people, See, Jesus has the exact same exalted lordship as the Father because the Father gave it to him, and that's exactly what's going on, that God exalted him to the highest place. Think about this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I mean, I'm just going to try and put this into perspective. Let's say you go to the Chiefs game or the Royals game. What do we got, like 73,000 people at the Chiefs game, maybe 45 at the Royals game, Could you imagine just being at just that location and all of a sudden the name of Jesus rings out over the loudspeaker and everybody drops to a knee? Now, I don't know what that does to you, but think about the chills that might go up your spine because to me, just standing for the national anthem always gives me chills, always. And that's the national anthem. That means nothing for my eternity. But imagine standing. That's just 70,000 people or 45,000 people. Imagine standing somewhere when at some point every knee bows. And listen, every tongue confesses. Listen to that. Not just the knee bowing, but now the tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. He is above all things. Why? Because he earned it. Because he paid the price we couldn't pay. That Jesus offers through his grace and his mercy, life in Christ. Because of his blood shed on the cross, our sins are washed away, white as snow, forgiven. And we stand redeemed and righteous when we believe and put our faith and trust in who Jesus Christ is. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we wouldn't have to pay it, and the beauty of this picture is this, that when we have the mind of Christ, we will be exalted as well at some point, not to the highest point like Jesus is, but to celebrate with him in eternity forever. And I know, look, I remember being a kid and thinking, are you kidding me? We're going to sing forever? You know, I just wasn't that into music, you know, I'm like, that just doesn't sound all that fun, all right, but I think about just the chills, like I talked about, if you were in a stadium filled with people, and everybody drops to knee, and confesses Jesus Christ is Lord, and you're going to be standing in eternity, with everybody that has put their faith and trust in Christ, and you're going to drop to a knee, and you're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, maybe you sing this song, Maybe there's some other songs we're gonna be singing. Who knows, you know? Maybe don't be quiet. Don't tell the old school Baptists. Probably won't all be hymns. So I'll just just give you. And and for those new school people, it's not gonna all be choruses. It's not gonna be prayed. You know, the, all contemporary stuff. I don't even think that's gonna matter. But that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And listen what it says. To the glory of God the Father. Paul is all about this. That God receives all the honor and all the glory and everything that goes on. So while Paul is trapped in prison, because of his belief, because of his faith in Christ, he says it's all pointing back to the glory of the Father. Jesus' death on the cross all points back to the glory of the Father. Jesus, at at the name of Jesus, every knee bowing and every tongue confessing, all points back to the glory of the Father who sent the Son in the first place. That's the beauty of this section of Scripture. That our attitude would be like Jesus Christ, that we would bear that out in each and everything that goes on. See, some, I believe wholeheartedly, will confess Jesus is Lord with great joy and humility, and others will declare him Lord with great pain and anguish. The question is, do you believe that now? See, our goal as believers is to believe that Jesus is Lord. We must not remain silent, but let others know of this great truth. And as we learn from this passage, we should pursue the same name, the same mind, and the same attitude of Jesus day in and day out, that our attitude reflect the very nature of who God is, that we would be Christ-minded or like-minded as Jesus was, that we would put others first, well, Jesus first, sorry, others second, and you third. I wanna challenge you this week just to reflect and ask you, ask yourself, how does my attitude reflect Jesus day in and day out? Because reality is that's that's the truth. That's, That's the truth of what goes on. Our attitude reflects what we believe about Jesus Christ. When somebody gets short with you, look, trust me, obviously I got my own flaws, all right? When somebody gets short with you, it's easy to snap. It's easy to cop the same attitude and go right back at them and kind of put them in their place. But I want to ask you this, as I ask myself this, does my attitude reflect Jesus day in and day out, or does my attitude reflect me, my selfishness, my pride, my arrogance? Or do I let Jesus, the mind of Jesus, control me that i be like-minded in everything that I do. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for me that I can't earn on my own, that I can't do on my own. And one day, I'm going to be the one bowing before Jesus, confessing Him as Lord. And I can confess Him as Lord now and celebrate later, or I can deny Him as Lord now and worry about pain and anguish later. But remember that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. God, there's so much to unpack in that text. We could almost honestly probably spend a month going verse by verse to break that down. But to see the big picture, to see the big picture, that it should be Jesus first, another second, and ourselves, you third. And God, we thank you for the fact that Jesus' humility and his service, his lowliness and lowering himself down and becoming obedient to you, taking the very nature of mankind, not grasping what he had the right to grasp for, which was his, his deity, his, his Godhead. And he made himself humble, and he served his people, and he went to the point of death on the cross. And God, I thank you for the fact that he died, that the blood shed on the cross covers my sins, it washes my sins away. That when I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe it in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that I will be saved. And so God, today I pray that maybe there's just an individual here today that maybe, maybe they've never done that before, they've never put their faith and trust in you, that they believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins, and they confess that with their mouth, and they believe it in their heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. But God, I pray today that we would understand that we serve and we worship an exalted King. The King who is above every king, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has been exalted to your right hand, he will be higher than anybody else, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Yahweh, that you will not share your name with anybody else. And so God, today I pray that as we close with this song. That maybe there's an individual here who's never put their faith and trust in Christ. They could come forward. They can nail that down. Maybe there's somebody here that would just say, you know, my attitude's kind of been bad. And maybe they need to pray. If they need somebody to pray with, that they could come forward and pray with somebody. Or they can just pray where they're at. Ask you to forgive them. That they would reflect more Christ-likeness in each and everything they do because they want more Jesus in their life. Father, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in everything. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.